Hello and welcome to the Imprint Companion, a podcast dedicated to the new Australian boutique Blu-ray label, Imprint. We are talking about some wonderful discs that have come into our possession this month of July 2021. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and with me as always is the Zodiac Chronicler himself, none other than podcast master, Blake Howard. <laughs> Alexi Toliopoulos, the man who found Drago and Desperado and is feasting on Netflix's <laughs> streaming buffet. Thank you so much for talking to me about discs again for Imprint and Imprint Films. It's an absolute treat. It's great to be back. And mm-hmm. I feel like as we've been exploring the different worlds of discs, it's nice to come yes. back home to Imprint. Because Absolutely. another, like, this is, you know, we've been talking about the different themes of the imprint batches. This is a truly mm-hmm. horrific batch. Yes. And in the best possible way. Absolutely. It's a monster batch, not by just by name, but by nature as well. It is humongous. <laughs> it is gargantuan. There are so many discs and films to cover. So many more discs. so than we've ever had, I think, <laughs> yeah. before. This is like our and biggest batch ever. Absolutely, and all of them live in that realm of horror, which makes me very excited as a horror head, and I know you're a big horror head as well, baby, so I can see that you, like me, are interested in venturing into these unknown worlds. Yeah, look, it's uh, there's nothing more that I like, especially in the theme of the the main quartet of films. We've got a couple of box sets that we're going to talk about in later episodes, but the main quartet of films are one of my favourite genres of horror, which is just, like, uh, sort of implacable horror. Like, stuff Mm. that you can't quite see all the time. You actually see the effects, the madness that it's ascending on the population first and then you that it helps ratchet up the tension so like you know some of the films that we're talking about today you don't get to see things directly or you see things in strange visions or you see things Mm -hmm. in you know you see characters like playing multiple people and that's kind of weird and it puts you off and but puts you off in like the best possible way and so that's my kind of that's my jam that like genuine implacable terror something is coming to get you fuck yeah bring it on i like all of those movies for me please it's an interesting quartet of films that we're discussing today they are all in that realm of horror i would say all of them are directed by pretty well-known or very interesting perhaps even prestigious filmmakers yes uh we've got three that are lesser known and then one that is an outright classic classic of genre cinema the first one we're going to discuss is the brotherhood of satan from 1971 then we're going to move on to a 1995 ghost story film called haunted then we're talking about a 1980 egyptian mummy themed (laughs) horror film starring charlton heston the movie's called the awakening and then we're going to close out this episode talking about a genuine absolute barn burning belter (laughs) of a classic stephen king adaptation by one of the all-time legends of the genre, oh. Mr. David Cronenberg and his film, The Dead Zone. So good. Imprints, spine numbers 57 through 60. Holy heck, let's get started with The Brotherhood of Satan. There are things in heaven and on earth beyond the comprehension of man. Call them what you will. The occult, witchcraft, devil worship. Satan! Behold thy supplicant! Arise and come in, child. 
enter for yet another lifetime in the Brotherhood of Satan. The Brotherhood of Satan. A demon spirit of madness and murder holds a California town in the grip of terror. My God, they're all mad. Witches. Black artisans, celebrants of the Black Mass. This is one that I've ex- exhaustively dived into, and mm-hmm. what you'd be really surprised to know is that uh, for, I think the film geeks here would definitely know this name, L.Q. Jones. So if you watch The Brotherhood of Satan, you're going to see L.Q.J. credited as a main producer. He's also an uncredited writer. Now, L.Q. Jones was part of the Sam Peckinpah school, right? He and Struther Martin, who's also in Brotherhood of Satan, were like mm-hmm. these guys that uh, were, were kind of like these off-color comedic pairing that found themselves in a bunch of Peckinpah movies. But they start LQ, um, LQ Jones and, uh, and his, uh, partner, um, uh, Sean McGregor and William Welch, they wrote the Brotherhood of Satan story, which is about a family who, you know, just by sheer chance drives into a town and gets trapped by a satanic cult that's taking away children. So there's all these mysterious murders that are happening in the town. Children are going missing. They can't seem to stop these mysterious murders from going on and all the children going away. And there's a weird culty vibe at this sort of strange old palatial mansion where weird things are happening and the children seem to be being drawn there. Strother Martin plays multiple characters in this and so Strother Martin um, famously uh, Quentin Tarantino said that Bruce Willis was the Strother Martin of his generation which is I don't know if that's a deep insult or like a deep uh, a really deep you know nice compliment Mm. but could be either with me (laughs) it could be either but what what really struck me was not only is this absolutely a gorgeous transfer i know that there's been a couple of um uh, uh hd scans uh 2k scans and um of of brotherhood of satan and other um other lines that aren't imprint but imprint have brought this out and really what is really striking is learning about lq jones uh, lq jones mm. as um from justin humphreys a film historian as this producer because he's like a quintessential western like face shitbag character you've seen in 10,000 movies, but to hear he crafted these bunch of weird and wonderful movies really between kind of 64, 75, the devil's bedroom, the witch maker mm. brotherhood of Satan. Wow. He's, he's made all these weird movies about occult activities that have impacts on towns and then turn people insane and also plague their mind to maybe make them do crazy shit. And so brotherhood of Satan is, terrific uh mm. very disturbing has some of the most unbelievably cool um intercutting to begin the movie yes. i'm not i'm not going to spoil it uh, the movie but just suffice to say the movie begins with this cool little moment of like a kid playing with a toy tank and mm. the kid and the little toy tank is making its toy tank sounds and that is intercut with again by some devilish magic a tank appearing on a road and crushing a priest's car. Wow. I love to hear this stuff. (laughs) I love to hear this stuff. And and I'm like, from that moment, I'm like, there's this great like vision, devilish magic, projecting toys and then turning, manifesting them into these like crazy things or like life-size tanks as opposed to a toy tank. And I'm like, oh no, this is the kind of shit that I really like. It's a creepy movie, very well put together. Um, and, and it, I think it's got a lingering 
a, a very lingering, disturbing quality. Like I actually had mm. to have a bit of a a watch cleanse after it. Oh cause, wow! Because it's like it's not like terrifying, frightening. I need to watch a cartoon, mm. but it was just like disturbing. Great images, great evocative things, great, um, uh, great sort of portrayal of uh, an inventive portrayal of like um, mm. death and cult activities and just people acting really weird that I love. So yeah, cool. this was a banger, and I, I know that I, uh, I, it was my assignment to deep dive on this one, and Lex was, mm. um, uh, Lex had two of the other ones in the batch and knows one of the others in the batch extremely well. But I just, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, if I can sell it to you, my friend, that that is the best pitch I can say. If, if oh my god. So. Brother Blake, let me tell you this. <laughs> Consider it sold. This has been the kind of cool thing about this episode uh, is that we've had to divvy them up because there are so many discs to get through. So oh we're my doing God. two and two this episode. There's like 16 films, guys, in this imprint pack. Yeah. So we're divvying them up because it's insane. Divvying them up. We can't handle it otherwise. No. But that was Brotherhood of Satan. I cannot wait to check it out. And I actually cannot wait to start telling you about the couple of flicks that I've watched this week. Uh, the first one is from 19. It is called Haunted. Does it exist? Is in the science of reason. Your book denies its existence. There are no ghosts. Has been invited. They will want you to come and investigate. To a house of mystery. Nanny is convinced that Mother comes back here every night. There are spirits in this house. Do you think she's imagining everything? Don't you? To explain how illusions... You're awfully brave. ...can seem to be real. You feel you don't know how to explain anything, do you? I wonder how I could have gone so long without you. To accept that the dead... You mean to tell me that you see nothing? ...can come back to life. For my salvation, I beg you. I don't trust anyone or anything in this house. Once you've seen through his eyes... Yes, And it is directed by, now I would say, a double alum of the imprint uh, imprint bundles. Really? Imprint, yes. It's directed by Lewis Gilbert, who is best known for directing some classic James Bond movies, The Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker. He's also directed Educating Rita and Alfie. Alfie. So talk, he's directed talk, Alfie. Talk about the Austin Powers connection. If you have directed Alfie and The Spy Who Loved Me, you are like in <laughs> yeah. the pantheon of the Austin Powers universe as well. But going absolutely going with going with one of um uh, one of our f- mutual faves, Aiden Quinn and Kate Beckinsale. Love Aiden mm-hmm. Quinn, huge fan, and a guy that oh. if you say to me, Alexi, nineteen ninety five, I say to you, Aiden Quinn. Because that's like, yeah. that's this guy's peak of his career, mid-90s, video store stuff. Tell me about Haunted. It was a couple of years later where Chris O'Donnell takes that mantle <laughs> away from him for about three months and never returns it. <laughs> oh, so good. But yeah, this is a movie that I was very interested in checking out because I do love ghost stories mm. so very much. Mm. I love ghost stories. In particular, I love English ghost stories. Mm. And this one really appeals to me because it's a romance or kind of feels rather romantic, if you will. Yes. And I would probably best describe it as uh, kind of like 
in the same family as one of my favorite horror films of all time, uh, The Innocents from mm. 1960, the adaptation of The Turning of the Screw. And I think that this lives in the same family, not quite as good as, the for me, <laughs> the best horror film ever made, <laughs> but it is really good, really luscious and really sumptuous. And the whole kind of story takes place in England in like 1920s era, early 20th century. And um, the premise is that uh, uh, Aidan Quinn uh, is a paranormal investigator of some kind, or a debunker rather. He's a skeptic and doesn't believe in them, despite having had a paranormal experience when he was a kid. So the movie starts when he's a child and his twin sister passes away and he sees a kind of vision of her. And um, then he spends his adult life debunking them. He goes back to England. Um, he, his family left England after the death of his sister. They moved to America. And then he goes back to England when this film begins to kind of debunk, but also like investigate this, uh, this paranormal experience that this nanny is having um, in this old manner if you will <laughs> and uh it becomes a romance between him and kate beckinsale as he's investigating her former nanny and um it it's interesting because i would say what is cool about this movie is that it lives in for the most part 70 percent of this movie lives in kind of like a period piece fun romantic uh a little bit gothic a little bit chilly Definitely chilly, this movie. That's a cool thing, though. It's very chilly uh, in this kind of, like, investigation realm of this manor and, like, kind of finding out the secrets of this place and, like, you know, in, like, those Rebecca, Alfred Hitchcock ways as well. You're speaking and all then, of my buzzwords right now with the chilly oh, Rebecca-style horror. Yes. And it's really... I think part of the magic of this film is it is directed by such a veteran of English cinema, Lewis Gilbert, who is a true... He's a, a great filmmaker and he's a journeyman in the best sense of the word where he's gone through countless genres. Like you've got the some of the biggest spy movies of all time with the uh, spy James Bond movies, yeah. of course. And then he's got Alfie, but he's also done like... Um, one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time, uh, Shirley Valentine, which is just kind of like <laughs> yes. a Stella got her groove back type of movie. <laughs> and so he comes to this going like, what's something I've never done in my freaking decades, decades, <laughs> near century long career is I've never done a ghost story. And so he's bringing like all this expertise of filmmaking to a genre he's not touched on before but is a well-trodden tried and true genre so he like brings like these interesting elements to it and it feels very classical but it's got a spark to it still and i think that spark really is these great lead exciting lead performances by kate beckinsale who's super young super it's like young. A early film for her yeah and it's like her first time kind of playing in the realm that she may be best known for now which is like playing kind of like a sexy character because um, before that, she's young. She doesn't play those roles. No. But then her with Aiden Quinn have really interesting chemistry. It's two great lead performances to like anchor you into this film. And I got to say, I really enjoyed it because I just love a good ghost story. I had read the book that this was based on that I didn't even realize until much <laughs> later. I found a hard copy of it. I bought it from an op shop like probably 10 years ago. <laughs> I would have read it then like straight out of high school. And um, yeah, I think that it's really well worth 
diving into. I think, Blake, it's a kind of movie that you could really enjoy. Yeah. And I really think the special features added a lot to this for me uh, because it's got a special feature that I found very... It's common amongst these imprint uh, releases that I really appreciate and I think deserves is deserving of these special features, which is uh, a special feature dedicated to the composition and scoring of this film. Yes. It's an in-depth interview with composer Debbie Wiseman, and it's called Hearing Things, Scoring the Haunting. I think this is a common feature that we found across most of the imprint releases over the last couple of bundles. Yeah, they... Uh, they is something dedicated to the score. They're very keen on making sure that the, the scores for some of these films are not like abandoned and uh, mm. I mean we're going to get to the dead zone which has extremely iconic score so we're going to yeah, talk about an that but, yeah and but but absolutely and look um in both of these um both of these you pushed my buttons and I just want to do shout out the so sp- people specifically know on the dev uh, the brotherhood of satan the devil you know called inside mm. LQ and JAF productions is the one on that as well yeah. but no look look haunted sounds great I'm so excited mm. I uh, for everyone listening, we are going to watch all of these. We're probably just not going to get to them by the time you yeah. guys hear it. So we wanted to be exhaustive. Um, mm-hmm. What cover, this is what I forgot, forgot to talk about in the first one, what cover do you like? Because the main poster cover appears to be haunted on the outside with Aiden Quinn's glorious blue eye mm-hmm. a shining. Um, which one do you like? Do you like the slip cover that's the darker, more, uh, more gothic inner cover of that one? Mm, I like the inner cover. Yeah. It's tough to say because uh, they're similar because it's just the two leads. Yes. Uh, but the font on the inner cover being kind of like an art deco-y slash gothic-y font. Yes. That's right up my alley. <laughs> well, I like the inner cover of The Brotherhood of Satan because it gets this beautifully glorious painted Struther Martin as this like satanic priest on the inside so you got a you sort of like a cartoonish avatar on the outside exclusive yeah. slipcase cover but on the inside is this like his actual like a re- painted rendition of his face which is mm. equally scary now let's go from chilly old england to <laughs> the hot mummified corpse of um, of a former <laughs> egyptian queen and uh, and charlton heston tell us uh, all about 1980s the awakening Through the ages, the ancient monuments of Egypt have been hunting grounds for archaeologists, tourists, and grave robbers. One by one, the sacred tombs of pharaohs and queens have been violated, yielding their priceless treasures and occult mysteries. But the evil one, Kara, has slept undisturbed for thousands of years, waiting. Waiting. For the awakening. This one also is directed by one of the true journeymen of cinema <laughs> history, the most chaotic filmography that is Mike Newell. Let me tell you just Mike a handful Newell. of movies for the listener, because I know you know this guy's got the weirdest, wackest filmography. Here's a handful of movies that he's directed. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, <laughs> almost makes sense. Donnie Brasco, yeah. The Prince of Persia, Pushing Tin, Mona Lisa Smile, The Guernsey Library, Literary and Potato Peel Society, <laughs> and of course, Mona Lisa Smile. Into the West, Every I'm looking at his filmography and every time I look at it, there's always something else that comes out to me. It's like, what the hell, this guy did that? Yeah, it's... it's he's... he's 
He's so chaos. Like I recently, because my kids started watching the Harry Potters and I found myself just mm. like reminding myself. So I watched some of the Harry Potters, but genuinely like Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is the weirdest Harry Potter movie. Like it's got the weirdest yeah. vibes in it. He's so weird. He did Prince of Persia. Like you said, the latest great expectations pushing tin mm-hmm. is a deeply chaotic movie in mm-hmm. stars in all of the, just everything. And oh, yeah, boy. it's, it's, it's a very... He's an interesting cat, shall we it's say. It's unbelievable to be like... The same director of <laughs> Four Weddings and a Funeral also did Donnie Brasco. Like, you can't... My brain can never <laughs> wrap my mind around that. Yeah. Because Donnie Brasco, I think, is a very underrated gangster flick that feels like a horror movie. Yeah. That's like the weird thing about <laughs> that movie. So it's interesting to go back and see an actual horror movie directed by Mike Newell. Uh, and it stars Charlton Heston, one of the biggest movie stars of all time. Yeah. Uh, this was one I would have to say I was looking forward to because it had been on my radar for a little while. Because I do love a mummy movie. Yeah. As, to me, a lot of exotic romance in the idea of like the universal horror monster idea of what the mummy is. Yes. And so my mind's always living in that world of like, yeah, I want to get another cool mummy movie like that that's maybe scarier uh, and more about that curse of opening those tombs. And uh, this one is actually based on a book by freaking Bram Stoker. Yeah. So the jewel of seven stars. Mm, So I'm like in the zone. I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm okay. (laughs) Um, I got to say that this was a disappointment. This movie, I think really it is at 105 minutes. Like, uh, to be blunt, it's one of the longest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> and only 105 minutes. <laughs> it was it was just a little slow. And it's one of those things as well where it's like, uh, Charlton Heston, I think like I was interested in seeing him because I love him in Planet of the Apes. And I thought this would be an interesting kind of like adventure mm. but more so exploratory of like... It, Egyptology, if you will. Yeah, like finding finding that sort of explorer energy seems very mm. Charlton Heston. You know, when you've got major, yes. when you've got the major Dundees, and you've got the Western characters he's played, and then you've got things like Planet of the Apes, the sci-fi, the explorer with the supernatural edge seems like a perfect fit for him. But by the sounds of things, it's not. Yeah, it's. I would just really to put it into context. This comes out in 1980. This genre is absolutely revolutionized and revitalized a year later with yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah. So it feels like it's from a completely different era for a completely different audience. And so it really does. I mean, I hate to kind of put a pun to it, but a relic of the past. Yeah, it's a relic. And also on the other bent, as you said, talking about movies that came out with like mummification or supernatural or Mm. those things. It goes Raiders in 81 and then John Carpenter's the thing in 82. And it's like both of those movies revolutionize both tales of that genre. And it's Mm. like, it's like, it's all over from there. It's all over. It's all done. We we, we can, we can put it, we can put a cap on it. It's done now guys. Yeah. You can put in a freaking sarcophagus, okay, at this point. But I would say that uh, on the positives of this, the new 2K scan of this film does look wondrous. It's not a bad-looking movie at all. It's a rather good-looking movie. Mm. And, um, like, for me, it also does remind me of, like, 
my other favorite archaeological film ever, which is the first like 25 minutes of The Exorcist. <laughs> and it also doesn't quite live up to that no, either. But what hard... movies do? None. No movies live up to that. None. It's an it's extremely hard bar. All right. So, so Awakening, a little bit of a disappointment, which is a shame. Uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. to be expected, you can't love every movie yeah. in every batch. But, but the special features are good on it as well. There's another one dedicated to the score that is quite good. Mm. And then there is one specifically about adapting the Bram Stoker novel to the big screen, which is well worth watching. So if you're like Blake and I, and you have an interest in film history and genre history, there's enough in here, if you can get it for a bargain, that I think is worth exploring if you're a Charlton Heston type. Absolutely. And wanting to get out there on an adventure through a film. Listen, yeah, and a second Charlton Heston, because we talk about seconds, we've already talked about um, mm. the, the, last, uh, at the last film that we discussed being Haunted and Lewis Gilbert having Alfie. This is the second Heston. We've got Major Dundee and now we've got Awakening. So, So we there's two in the imprint companion for Charlton Heston. But now, without further ado... Let's get on to an absolute stone-cold banger of a film, a film that I hadn't mm. seen. Mm. So a huge blind spot for me. David Cronenberg, the legend of Scanners, The Fly, I mean, everything, really. Yeah, even all, yeah. The, all the way up to Eastern Promises. Like an inc- oh, my God. One of the, one of the modern classics, uh, gangster films. One of my guys, I would say. Yeah. He's one of my absolute He's heroes. big Alexi guy. His film from 1983, adapting Stephen King's best-selling novel, The Dead Zone, starring Christopher Walken. You've been in a coma, Johnny. For how long? Five years. The house is burning. Your daughter's in the house. It's not too late. You're the talk of the town. Because I got my head bashed in and I'm still here to talk about it. Because you have the power of second sight. I don't know whether it's true or not, these psychic powers of yours. No, I'm at my wit's end, John. I could use your help. It has to do with these murders we've been having, the Castle Rock killer. I saw his face. Just thought I'd stop by here on my way to the U.S. Senate. Greg Stilson. He's dangerous. If you could go back in time before Hitler came to power, knowing what you know now, would you kill him? I would kill him. You'd never get away alive. It doesn't matter. I'm not crazy, you know. Those headaches are getting worse, aren't they? As the visions grow stronger and more powerful, so the body weakens. God has seen fit bless you with this gift you should use it bless me not only can you see the future i can change it if you haven't seen this film just uh, at a high level johnny smith played by christopher walken is a school teacher a deeply shit haircutted school teacher may I, might i say <laughs> oh um, come on <laughs> i love christopher walken's improbably stiffened hair <laughs> they, instead of his usual i've just been zapped by a powerpoint hair it's it's like like really flat and this like terrible yeah. fringe it's really 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 chaotic energy from him um yeah. but he plays johnny smith who gets in a horrific road accident in the rain and is comatose for five years when he comes out of his coma he's at a clinic uh, where they he, he's trying to be brought back to some semblance of his normal life and semblance of reality. Um, and he, he comes out 
And part of his recovery, he realizes that he's starting to have futuristic visions. So, and mm. to the touch. So, he firstly discovers this gift or this curse, however you want to think about it. He discovers it sitting uh, in his recovery bed in his clinic hospital and a nurse comes over and pets his brow of sweat and he touches her hand and has a vision of her daughter, you know, embroiled in a blaze of her house and says, she'll be okay if you go now, but your daughter's surrounded by flames and surrounded by fire. So it's this incredible, very... I want to call it like it ruminates. It's not mm. something that is in any kind of rush. And it just tells you the kind of on, on sort of micro level where you see a girl having a vision to macro level, these huge international sort of stakes level things about what this curse does to the character Johnny Smith. And you get to see, like, after seeing Walken with his sort of unhinged and bad haircut, you start to see Walken like the gift start branching out and in no matter what he's trying to do, he still finds himself having visions that have greater and greater consequences and greater, greater stakes. Um, and so it's incredible. The score is amazing. Uh, the mm. direction is incredible. It's shot in Toronto. So there's some great special features on this that talk about like how cold it was and how specific it was to shoot this in Toronto and the snow and the cold. Walken becomes his more chaotic self as the movie progresses. And there's almost mm. no one better at reacting to some yeah. to, to lines than him. Um, and yeah, it's just, it has Herbert Loam in it as Dr. Sam Wyzak, who's just terrific. Um, you know, he, a, a classic, you know, Czech born British actor, um, who's just an icon. Yeah. I loved it. And, and, you know, it's mm. one of those, it's one of those ones. It had always been one that people had said, Blake, you know, of the Stephen King films that don't usually get the glorious ad adaptations they deserve, people always held the dead zone up on a pedestal to say, if you're mm. going to adapt King, these are some of the ones that are the best. You know, you know, now it's like It Chapter One very recently from Andy Machete, but it's also like um, uh, The Dead Zone and, you know, Shawshank, for example. They're the kind of ones that people often talk about. And, uh, yeah, look, this is great, man. I, and, and the special... Mm features just seeing yeah. the special features on this thing i mean so massive it's loaded dude it's load so great audio commentary stephen jones and kim newman do it this is from 2002 mm -hmm. new visual essays um dino in the dark like adapting stephen king like a whole bunch of new people talking about uh how to adapt king and does it work mm. looking um back all new 2006 featurettes that were done for another version of the film are all there as well so you can kind of go 2002 2006 2021 worth of special features it's like uh it yeah. is a smorgasbord of stuff it was great absolutely tell me about uh, tell me about your love of the dead zone I really love this movie. I'm a Cronenberg guy and it was probably one that I'd left till late just like you. I had only caught up with it maybe five years ago yeah. and um, I really do like this movie. I like it a lot. I think I like it more because it's interesting. It's an interesting adaptation because I believe there was a point in time where it was going to be a TV show yes. and then it be it eventually the Dead Zone is adapted for TV with yes. like uh who's in it? Some uh, some guy from the 80s. I, I can't remember. I was trying to find it. I'll look it up now but while you talk about it to talk about yeah. the, the TV show. Um so it was going to be a TV show. So the film's got this like anthology-like structure where it's yes. almost like, I think, four parts, like four short stories uh, yeah. adapted almost, it feels like. 
And uh, I think that's a really interesting way because it feels like The Fugitive or something, like the TV show The Fugitive, where you've got four separate adventures uh, following this one disturbed guy. I can't believe I've missed this show. The Dead Zone, which ran from 2002 to 2007, Mm -hmm. starred Anthony Michael Hall. That's who I thought it was. Johnny I Smith. Be quite sure. Johnny couldn't Smith. Couldn't be quite sure. Yeah, and uh, I I really like it, and I have the last uh, Blu-ray version that ViaVision did put out before mm. this new one. So I'm very excited to see that all of those great special features have been ported over because sometimes when there are like releases out already, you lose some of those special features between releases. Yes, this one is absolutely loaded with everything you could ever want to see from this now classic genre picture. Um, and it's also got a great supporting performance from Martin Sheen. Martin, and I think Martin he is fantastic Sheen. in it. Martin Sheen crushes this movie. He's so wonderful and he's not usually um, deployed in a way that kind of mm. gets him to ramp up crazy. But holy yes. shit, does he ratchet up menace like intimidation uh, he's he's very likable but he's 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 got a natural likability but then that that weird in, impulse to be like funny and gregarious it all it makes him makes him feel like a serial killer because he's a guy who mm. kind of effortlessly makes people like him so the whole yeah. vibe of him Greg Stilson who's a, uh, a an upcoming senatorial and hopefully presidential candidate um that that Johnny Smith encounters in one of this sort of and actually a couple of these kind of anthology moments, but is the focus of one of them. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a real surprise packet and a shock and it was really like really lovely. And I, I think that's what I mean about ruminate. I, I love that this movie takes the time to tell the story of this guy and have a couple of the chapters, almost like acts in a play to kind Mm. of, to, to sort of dive into elements of this sort of gift slash curse um, to see how it changes his life and lets us go with him because it would just be unconscionable to me that they would ever allow this to be made as a film again. Yeah. You know, like Jeffrey Bohm's script does a great job of like holding it all mm. together. But I would imagine now like if, and I mean, how far away are we from Netflix taking this and adapting it into another series? Yeah. You know, I mean, not far. Probably, it's a probably yeah. already in the works. It's probably in the works somewhere yeah. at least. Um, I, I feel like I've even read that. Let me just have a quick look while you ruminate on it more. Yeah, look, and also Castle Rock became a TV series um, uh, as well, which which is where which this The Dead Zone was the first novel that um, that really spelt out Castle Rock as this sort of fictionalised Stephen King main. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, mm. it's plenty of opportunities and I think a lot of characters that have popped up in um, in King novels and The Dead Zone maybe even popped up in that show. But, yeah, it just it feels like, you know, it, it feels like a relic a bit this does because it, it doesn't feel like we'd ever get this to be made as a movie again. Yeah. But there is something amazing about when you cast Chris Walken as a guy who's a bit unhinged, it just works. Mm, You're like, I'm in. Absolutely. I'm in. Like, it's such great casting. You buy it. And, and yeah, like, as, as weird and supernatural as things might get, he just sells it. And also, there's no, this is what I can't stress enough, there's literally no one better almost ever than Walken smelling bullshit. Like he's for a, mm-hmm. for a guy who feels like he's playing a game or he's very performative. There's something so great watching him react to characters who are trying to get one over him because he just seems to look at them with like this, like beautiful, like, huh? Like that's yeah. funny that you would try and do that to me because I'm no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm no, I'm no person to be gamed. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I, 
I deeply, uh, deeply, deeply, deeply enjoyed this. And it's definitely one mm. I'd want to watch again. And it's such a, a vibe movie too. Like it's a great yeah. creepy, sustained vibe um, that goes throughout the whole thing. And the, the cold works. And I almost feel like... Um, other movies like this have been kind of David Finch's Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, which like not a lot yes. of folks loved, but what has, oh. what, what, which I love. I know you and I love it, but not a yeah. lot of folks. Love I love it. it. I love it to pieces. Right. But I, I feel like that part of why I love that movie so much is just the entire vibe. And like Michael mm. Kamen does the score, obviously Reznor and Atticus Ross did the score for Dr Dragon Tattoo. And so I feel like the vibe, the shooting, the cold, everything it's just completely cohesive and just working a treat in this. So yeah, love it, love it, love it. Such a great discovery. So stoked to have seen it. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir of folks who are listening who, who probably mm -hmm. have seen the dead zone and love it. So yeah, I'm, uh, you know, so I'm stoked to oh discover it and I'm stoked for you guys to get it, get a chance to get it on Blu-ray and just like gush over all the special features like Alexi and I. I might freaking watch it tonight. Like I missed, <laughs> I wish that I, I was very selfless in giving this one to you in our divvying up this batch. You're such and a good now friend, I'm mate. Like, I'm absolutely pissed off that I didn't go, no, I'm claiming Dead Zone, claiming Dead Zone. <laughs> oh boy, oh This boy. is how selfless my co-host is. He knew I hadn't seen it. So he's like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you take it, bro. You take it. You know, yeah. you take it. Yeah, I've seen and I can join in <laughs> the discussion. I'm absolutely livid right now that I wasn't selfish in that moment. Uh, Blake, as always, it is a joy, even amongst the stresses of me being upset with you, oh. uh, that I did get to watch this one. Always a joy to talk discs with you, baby. Oh, man. There is no one I like more infuriating with the selections that I've been gifted <laughs> than you, my friend. The discs will keep us spinning and keep us talking forever my friend where can people find you if they need more non-disc talk uh, uh around the you, interwebs well if you like the horror talk on this episode uh over on the big film buffet the netflix podcast i host with jen fricker we've been doing the fear street trilogy which is a trilogy of slasher films that just came out mm. across the platform over a month which had never really been done before no. but also in companion to that we had some discussions about the themes of those horror movies with some great people. We just did one about queerness in horror with Reese Nicholson. There's one with our mutual dearest friend, Maria Lewis, about Ooh. witches and how they uh, form out through popular culture and about horror in general with one of the freaking maestros of all time, Mr. R.L. Stein. Oh my God. So that's something I'd love people to check out is those uh, six episodes there are really cool, but especially... I got to interview one of my heroes of all time, R.L. Stein. So I'm still living on that energy. And over on Total Reboot, I'm doing a mini series called Cuisine on Screen with Mitch Orr and Aaron Chen, uh, where we're looking at some of the great food movies of all time, kicking things off with Ratatouille. And that episode will be out in just a couple of days. Excellent. Well, from King mm -hmm. to Stein to another text that is deeply creepy, that is deeply in the mood uh, for weirdness, mm -hmm. Zodiac Chronicle, and another hero of mine, John Carroll Lynch, appearing on oh. the 14th episode of Zodiac Chronicle to talk oh, about that's so cool. the interview scene coming up. So guys, if you're listening to this, it will be 24 hours from now, you will have the oh. latest Zodiac Chronicle. That episode is so ridiculously stacked. Two of my favorite people I've ever gotten to speak to. Obviously, one is John Carroll Lynch. My Two God. is my 
critical hero, the greatest living film critic in my mind, Manola Dargis, who is the chief co-chief critic at the New York Times. She basically unpacks the scene. John Carroll Lynch Mm. gives us insights about being cast as the character and everything in between. It's absolutely brilliant. I've been listening to it in isolation. I can't wait for folks to hear it. So if you're going to jump over and listen to that, please do. I would love if you did. I am very excited because it's one of the greatest scenes in film history, this interview interrogation scene. <laughs> and Blake, you know with Blake Howard, you know the guy knows how to take down and analyze the deep cuts of the greatest films in, in scenes in film history. Uh, this is this is the episode I've been waiting for. Oh, man, this is the episode I've been waiting to release. Uh, Manola Dargis was my first interview. John Carroll Lynch is one of our last ones. So pairing those two minds together to unpack this scene with me has been a, a treat. But thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you on another Imprint Companion or a serious disagreement wherever you're listening to this. You'll catch us again soon talking more about the July Imprint Batch. But keep on spinning, baby. You just keep on spinning. Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out OneHeatMinute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.